Our focus is going to be verse 11, the line that says, Give us this day our daily bread. Let me tell you uh, to open a story about some missionary uh, friends that Brooke and I met when we were newly married. Brooke and I lived um, when we were newlyweds. We lived in an apartment complex in Amarillo called Wellington Manor. It was kind of catty-cornered down the street from our church. Uh, We were, from a church's perspective, thought of as apartment missionaries. They sort of footed the bill. Uh, We were there at this complex to minister to people, to reach out to people. The apartment complex gave us a free apartment, and the catch on that end was we had to provide 80 hours of resident activities a month. And so Brooke cooked breakfast for the Anybody who wanted to come every Saturday morning, uh, we had a Bible study, we had some child care things, we had hamburger cookouts, all sorts of different things, and we got this free apartment, and the church had a uh, couple there as missionaries, so to speak. And while we lived there, we got to meet the Burroughs family, Mike and Shay Burrow. And that's a picture of Mike and Shay. Mike's the, the bald guy in the back, looks like me if I tried to grow my hair out, and Shay's up in the front, the little short lady. Their son Jesse is on the left, and his wife is in the middle, and then their daughter's up in the front, and her husband in the back. So the, the Burrow family moved in. The Burrow family were IMB missionaries in Tanzania, and they had been overseas for a pretty lengthy amount of time. They were back on a stateside assignment. They weren't from Amarillo, but it was kind of a landing spot in between all their family, and so they landed in Amarillo. Our church kind of adopted them in, and our church said, while you're here, we will rent you an apartment, and they rented them an apartment at our complex right around the corner. So we had these IMB missionaries there uh, living right around the corner from us. Great missionaries, uh, people who taught me a lot about missions and what does it mean to just serve people and care about people. Um, I learned that from them while they were in Amarillo. I learned that from them visiting them in Tanzania after they had gone back to the field. I remember the first time I had a serious one-on-one conversation with Mike. Uh, we had met, we had talked sort of in groups of people and other folks around, chit-chat. Uh, but the first time me and him had a real heart-to-heart. I was walking around the complex passing out flyers for some event that we were doing, putting them on doors, something like that. And we just crossed paths. And he was noticeably upset And I didn't know exactly what was going on, and so we stopped and we were talking. And they were still pretty new back uh, from the field. And this may seem silly to you, but Mike is not the only missionary who has told me he had this experience. They went to the grocery store for the first time to buy groceries. And he said, I was good all the way through the grocery store till I got to the bread aisle. And he said, I walked to the bread aisle, and I looked at the whole aisle. 800 types of bread, uh, very, very cheap bread, doesn't cost anything. Most of it's just going to get tossed out if it doesn't get bought on time, and they're just going to throw it out the back, and nobody's going to think twice about it. And he said, I just had a, like a breakdown just thinking about what my life was like and what life was like for the people I knew back in Tanzania. They didn't have a bread aisle to go to. They couldn't go and for relatively cheap, I mean just pennies to us, go and buy bread. And he said all these things, you you get used to living over there, you get used to what life is like there, and then you come back here and you see something like that. And he said, I would have never thought, I've been on a bread aisle a thousand times in my life. 
But after coming back, all of the emotion and all the thoughts and all the experiences just sort of came flooding back. And uh, he, was, he was shaken by it, and he was upset by it. It made him emotional right there in the, in the middle of United Supermarket. I think as Americans, this line of the prayer, give us this day our daily bread, that might be the hardest part of the Lord's Prayer for us to truly pray. Uh, to think about what Jesus is asking us to do and to really implement that sort of mindset and that sort of approach into our prayer life. I'll also say that as I've studied through the Lord's Prayer, I've read in the past multiple books about the Lord's Prayer. I've re- I preached through the Gospel of Matthew uh, when we were in Oklahoma, so we talked about the Lord's Prayer. Here, we went through the Gospel of Luke, has a version of the Lord's Prayer. So it's not new stuff to me. As I studied this time, This was my favorite phrase. This was the one phrase that stood out to me. uh, And that sort of impacted my mind and my heart as I was preparing. But I think it's challenging for most of us to pray this. And I'll just give you an example. This is why it's hard. We have Sam's Club, right? You know that's not our Sam's Club because there's only like two people in the picture, not 2,000. And everything's on the shelves, not on the floor. But you get the idea. Sam's Club. Uh, Brooke and I went to Sam's uh, earlier this week, and we bought uh, 18 boxes of macaroni and cheese, because you need that, and we bought uh, a 42-pack of peach cups. We got, if you need peach cups, come talk to us. We got peach cups for weeks, and we bought a barrel of coffee. It's like this big, and it's up in our cabinet, and we'll have coffee forever, and we, we go home with all of this stuff. I mean, the cart's just overflowing, and we spend all of this money on all these things, and we'll eat it all sometime before summer. We'll get through it all. <laughs> but when that's your experience, how do you stop and say, give me my food today? I mean, I got food at my house right now for three months. If I ration it out and I make it last and we really get serious about it, I don't need to worry about today or tomorrow or the next day or next week or the week after that. What does it mean for us as Americans thinking through this prayer to pray, give us this day our daily bread? Certainly, we're going to talk about this, certainly there's the idea that we're praying for our needs, the things that we need, But I think the real heart of verse 11 of this line, I think the heart goes deeper than just saying, give me what I need. I think the heart of verse 11 really gets to the idea that God is the creator and we're the creature. And it really drives home the idea of who God is and who we are. And right here in the middle, it's just sort of nestled right in the middle of the prayer, is this great reminder, you need to know the truth about God And you need to know the truth about you. And when you get both of those things in place in your mind and in your heart, it's going to change the way that you pray and the way that you commune with God in prayer. John Calvin said it this way. This is a quote from Calvin. I think I put this on your notes. It is certain that man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face and then descends from contemplating him to scrutinize himself. You're not ready to think about who you are until you truly see who God is. And 
Conversely, once you truly see who God is, it's going to then change the way that you think about yourself. And I think that's the, the big idea we're driving at here in Matthew 6, 11. So let's start off talking about God and man. Very basic things, very elementary things, but things that need to be in place in our hearts and our minds before we jump in and start praying. Number one, God is the creator. We are the creature. God's the creator. We're the creature. And I'd like to read these two verses. So if you'll find Psalm 148, way at the end of the book of Psalms, Psalm 148, and I just want to read down to verse 6. Psalm 148, 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens. You waters above the heavens, let them praise the name of the Lord. Why? For he commanded and they were created. He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. In the mind of the psalmist, every part of creation ought to worship and magnify and glorify God simply because he made all of it. And every part of creation, and you and I fall into that category, creation, ought to recognize and respond in worship to God as the creator. Now flip to the end and look at Revelation. Revelation chapter 4. This is not something that they just were supposed to do in the Old Testament. This is not something we're just supposed to do today. This is something we will do forever. For all eternity, one of the things that you're going to do as a creature is worship God simply because, for no other reason, not for anything He's done for you or any blessing in your life, just acknowledging the fact that He is the Creator. So Revelation 4, verse 8, there's four living creatures. They have six wings. They're full of eyes all around within, day and night. They never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who's seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever... 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their, throne, their crowns before the throne and they say, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. They did it in the Old Testament. We do it today. We're going to do it forever in eternity. One of the things we have to do to commune rightly with God, to have a right relationship with God, is simply to acknowledge Him as the Creator. He's the Creator. We're the creature. Second, God's the provider, and we are needy. God is the provider, and we are needy. Look at Matthew 6 in verse 25. Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, about your body, what you're going to put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. And he says, look at the birds, right? Consider the birds. And there in the end of verse 26, he says, your father feeds them. Verse 27, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to your life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies. Verse 28, think about the lilies. Verse 30, it says, God clothes the grass, which it's, 
today alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven. He's going to clothe you, O you of little faith. Don't be anxious saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? The Gentiles seek after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Seek the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. God is the provider. We are needy. And God knows that. He's aware of that. I've told you before about a lady named Annie Hawks. She was born in the 1800s, 1836. And uh, she lived in Hoosick, New York. Never went to school. Never graduated from any level of formal education. Taught herself to read. Taught herself how to write poetry. Uh, She got married. In 1865, she moved to Brooklyn. She joined the local Baptist church, and the pastor was Robert Lowry. And uh, Annie Hawks, writing all these poems, starts talking to her pastor, and her pastor says, hey, these poems are really good. You should turn them into hymns. Take these poems, and let's set them to hymns. And the two of them, Annie and her pastor Robert, collaborated on a number of hymns. And you can look it up. There's all sorts of famous hymns they, they worked on together. One of them that has endured is the hymn, I need thee every hour. And the chorus of the hymn says this, I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. Just a piece of trivia. When she died, when Annie Hawks died, that hymn that she wrote and Robert Lowry helped set to music, that hymn had been translated into more languages than any other hymn at the time of her death. And when you read the lines, you read the chorus, you think, I wonder what she went through when she wrote those lines. What was she going through? Was it a sickness? Uh, Was it the difficulty of moving to a new place and the stress of that? Was it, you know, it it could be a number of things that would cause a person to think that. People used to ask her that a lot. It was a famous hymn. People sang it, and they wanted to know, tell us the backstory. Why did you write it? And this is what she said. She said, the hymn is prophetic, not expressive, meaning... I didn't go through anything and, wrote, and write the hymn. I just read the Bible and wrote the hymn. It wasn't some big, huge crisis. It wasn't that you know, she didn't have bread to eat. It wasn't that some sickness took her over or took a family member. She's just reading the scriptures, and she comes away probably looking at a passage like Matthew 6, saying, I need God every hour. I mean, there's not a moment of the day I'm not dependent on him. He's the provider, and I'm the needy one. He provides, and I'm needy. Next, this is a similar idea, but I just want you to get this deep in your bones. God is independent, and we are dependent. God's independent, and we're dependent. I'm going to let you look at Psalm 3. That's the psalmist talking about sleep. And the psalmist says in Psalm 3, my paraphrase, I went to bed, I woke up in the morning because God sustained me. Have you ever thought about how helpless you are when you sleep? You're just laying there, dead to the world. You don't know what's going on. You're not aware of anything. You can't fight anybody off. All you can do is snore and grunt and roll around and... And while you do that, God's in control. Right? And God made you that way. So that all the time, you've got to go to sleep. Some of you want to go to sleep right now. You say, I need a nap right now. Go to sleep. We don't need you. God doesn't need you. It's okay. Take a nap. When you wake up, you wake up and you say, Huh, oh, God woke me up. God handled the universe just fine. 
while I took my Sunday nap or my Wednesday night nap or my, my sleep through the evening. We are dependent. God is independent. In Acts 17, Paul is preaching in Athens to people who have no biblical worldview whatsoever. I mean, they have no biblical conception of God at all. They have no Old Testament frame of reference for Yahweh or the Lord or anything. And one of the things that Paul says in Acts 17 is, to these people, you remember all the idols they were worshiping in Athens? Everywhere he went, they have idols this, idols that. They got an idol or an altar for the unknown God in case they leave any of them out. And Paul stands up and he preaches and he says, look, God is not served by human hands. All these things you're doing for all these gods... The true God doesn't need you to do any of that stuff. He doesn't need anything. right? We get to sing the hymn and should sing the hymn, I need thee, I need thee, I need thee. Every single hour I need you. I'm needy, I'm needy, I'm needy. I'm dependent, I'm pathetic. I can't do anything. I depend on you entirely. And Paul says, God doesn't need anything. He doesn't need you to do anything for him. He he doesn't feel better when you sing a song. It doesn't really pump him up. He's independent. We're the dependent ones. All these thoughts you've got to have in your mind, biblical thoughts, when you come to Matthew 6 and you read verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. This is the part of the prayer that gets very practical. Very, very practical. Bread is physical. You hold it in your hand. You can tear it apart, you can put it in your mouth, you can dip it in something, you can toast it, you can butter it, you can whatever. I mean, it's physical, it's tangible. And in this one short little prayer, Jesus includes something that's just very earthy and physical. And so I want to talk to you briefly about the value of physical life. God created us to be physical beings. Our physicality is not a result of the fall. Being physical is not a wicked, immoral, sinful thing. That's how God made us. Genesis 2. God takes the dirt and he makes a man and he breathes life into it. And there's not a drop of sin, an ounce of sin, any sin in all of creation. There's a a man and a woman and they have a physical body and they have an immaterial soul, spirit, And it's exactly how God wants it to be. He wants them to be physical. The angels are not physical. God didn't make us to be angels. Then, now, in the future, ever. They're angels. We're people. People are physical. Immaterial soul. Physical body. We've just been talking about John 1. John 1.14. The Word became flesh. The eternal, immaterial, divine Word took on a physical human nature and everything that that entails. He didn't have any sin. There wasn't anything deficient in Jesus, and he was very and will always be very physical. When he rose from the dead, it was a bodily resurrection. It wasn't just that the spirit floated up and left the body there. The body got up. It's physical. And in the end, when you read Revelation 20 and 21 and 22, it's not just spirits floating around on the clouds playing harps and wearing, you know, flowing imaginary white robes. It's people. People with bodies coming back to life and going to a very real place for eternity. And, and the picture of heaven 
or the new Jerusalem, the new creation, is it's very physical. It comes down out of heaven. And then it's here, and it's physical, and there's a city, and there's walls, and there's gates, and there's roads. There's all sorts of physical, there's trees, and waters, and rivers, and all of these physical things. God created us to be physical beings. Secondly, Jesus teaches us to pray about our physical needs. I know that's such a simple statement, but this is something that you really got to get deep down in your heart, in your mind. He doesn't start telling us to pray about bread. He starts with a focus on God, right? Our Father, and the intimacy of that. Our Father in heaven. He's transcendent. He's not just chummy with us. He's holy. Hallowed be your name. I want you to be glorified. That's the most important thing in all the universes that you receive the praise, the glory, the honor, all of it. I want your kingdom to come. That means every other kingdom has to die. We talked about that last week. I want your will to be done. The way you want things to go is the way I want things to go. I'm surrendering. I give up. I wave the white flag. You're the boss. You're in charge. Let's do it your way. I'm not trying to talk you into doing it my way. And then Jesus just says something as plain as, I need bread today. Today I need some bread. And I'm asking you to give it to me. A lot of times when I talk to people about prayer, they have this mindset that they're bothering God. Maybe in general, they feel like their prayers are bothering God. Or maybe they say, you know, I just I ask the same thing over and over and over again. He's probably tired of hearing it. I just I keep saying the same thing. I'm, he's probably sick of it. And uh, he's got a lot of important things to do. He has a kingdom to manage and a will to execute and a name to be hallowed. I don't know that he needs to be or wants to be bothered with my piddly little requests. And right here in the model prayer, Jesus says, oh, no, 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 bring all of them. Even even something as silly as bread, bring it. He wants to hear from you about that. He cares about that. It's not bothering him. It's not irritating him. He's not annoyed with that. He's not rolling his eyes up in heaven saying, here we go again with the bread stuff. I mean, every day you need bread. I mean, he made you that way on purpose. He knows how often you need bread. And every time you need it, you should stop and ask him for it. You should stop and thank him for it. He teaches us to pray for, his phys- for our physical needs. It's not insignificant. He cares And when you come to God and you say, God, today I need bread. What you're saying is, I'm dependent on you. And you're big enough to handle what I have today. You can take care of it. And you're going to run your kingdom. And you're going to execute your will. And you're going to make your name hallowed among your people. You're going to do all these big spiritual religious things. And you're big enough to do all that stuff. you got all these plates spinning. And give me bread. You can do it. I can't do it. But you can do it. Right? That's the act itself of just asking, trusting that he can deliver it, is worshiping and acknowledging his greatness and his power. Dr. Moeller says it like this. Al Moeller, book on the Lord's Prayer. He says, we need not be surprised by the earthiness of Jesus' prayer. Is an earthy prayer. 
the Father cares not only for great things, such as advancing his kingdom in the world, but also for small things, such as feeding his children. One last thought here. Every aspect of our lives ought to point to God and his glory. Every aspect. The big, the spiritual, the mission trips, the kingdom stuff, the, the worship stuff, the hallowing stuff, and the routine stuff, and the mundane stuff. Paul tells the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. Why not say, I mean, such a great verse. Why not say, whether you're preaching a sermon or singing a worship song, do it all to the glory of God. It's because we know those are things we do to the glory of God. We don't need to be told that. We tend to think all the other stuff is just stuff. We bring glory to God, we're prone to think, when we sing praises to Him or when we share the gospel or when we go on a mission trip or when we give an offering or we pray a prayer. And Paul says, you ought to be striving to honor God when you do the most ordinary thing that you do every single day. Take a drink and put a piece of bread in your mouth. You ought to try to do that to God's glory. In the mundane, the trivial, the routine, in the ordinary Every aspect of our lives ought to point to God and to his glory. So what does it actually mean? Give us this day our daily bread. Let me give you a few thoughts here. Jesus is teaching his people to pray for their needs, not their wants. Their needs, not their wants. Philippians chapter 4. Verse 19. Philippians 4.19, Paul says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul gives this promise to the church. God is going to meet your needs. Your definition of what you need may be different than God's definition of what you need. And as Americans, we're probably all way out of whack in that regard. I'm prone to think I need fast cell phone data. Um, over Christmas break, our kids went to Amarillo, and uh, Emma had her phone with us. Right now, it's Emma and me and Brooke on our, our data plan, our phone plan. And Emma didn't realize in the back of my parents' house, the Wi-Fi doesn't reach and all those Netflix movies she was watching at night weren't on the Wi-Fi, they were on the data. So a day into our plan, I get a notification, hey, by the way, you're out of data, we're bumping you down to dial-up speed for the next month. That was a long month. That's a long month. You're, you know, you're somewhere, you're out to lunch, and you say, oh, I wonder, I wonder what the news is on the, on the ESPN app, or I wonder what's going on on... Facebook, or I need to check my Twitter for something, and you pull it up, and it just stares back at you. (laughs) Nothing. And you say, I need more than this. I don't need it. I don't need it. You don't need it. But that's how we're prone to think. We very easily, easily get conditioned to think things that are nice are needs. And Paul tells the Philippians, my God will supply all of your needs written by a guy in a prison cell who believes that at this very moment, the same God is supplying all of my needs. So 
just be careful on your definition of needs. And Jesus, uh, in encouraging us to pray for our daily bread, is encouraging us to pray for the things that we need. James Boyce, Pastor Boyce, says it like this. The first request here deals with our physical needs. The phrase, our daily bread, includes by implication all the needs, not wants, but needs of life. It's a prayer for food and clothing and a home, a good job, many other physical necessities. At the same time, it should be evident that it does not encourage us to pray for superfluities, for things that are superfluous, for things that are extra, for things that are wants. It's a call to pray for the things that you need. And I'll just throw this out here for you to think about. You ever had somebody warn you about praying for patience? (laughs) Be careful if you pray for patience. God might put someone in your life who will give you the opportunity to develop patience. So you may not want to pray for that. Look, when when you start to be serious about the Lord's Prayer, not just to run through it, you start to be serious about it, God might answer your prayer. So don't take it lightly. If you're going to pray the way Jesus told you to pray, which is a good idea, just know that he's teaching you to pray for the things that you need. And if you pray that, God might just give you the things that you need. He will, but he might just answer your prayer. Think about that. Jesus' original audience would have heard bread and thought about manna. Original audience would have heard him talk about bread. Jewish audience, they would have thought about manna. You remember Exodus 16? We're not going to look at Exodus 16, but you can make your way to Deuteronomy 8. We are going to look at that. And while you find Deuteronomy 8, I'll talk about Exodus 16. People, they get rescued out of slavery in Egypt. Moses leads them out. God does all the heavy lifting. They get out in the wilderness, and God's done great things for them. And they start to run into situations where they have needs. They need water. God provides it for them. And they need something to eat. And he provides that for them in sending them manna. And you remember how God set the whole thing up to work. He says, look, I'm going to send it every day, six days a week. Not going to happen on the Sabbath, six days a week. Every day you take what you need. Don't try to keep it for tomorrow. Some of them tried to keep it for tomorrow, and what happened? Got nasty. It's gross. So get what you need for today. Take what you need today. Tomorrow, what you need for tomorrow is going to be there. And I'm going to do that every day. Then on the sixth day, because I'm trying to teach you something about Sabbath and rest and worship, On the sixth day, you take double, and it's not going to be there on the seventh day. And what happened on the seventh day? A bunch of them went out looking around. Well, I didn't. It's six in a row. I thought we had. No, six in a row, and then a break. And you've taken double, and you're going to eat that. And it's not going to get nasty. It's going to be a miracle. And then we're going to start the whole thing over. And we're going to do it every day, and I'm going to provide for you, and I'm going to meet your needs. Clearly, he's trying to teach them about uh, food that he's going to provide for them. I'll provide for you. I'll take care of you. I've gone to all the great length of beating the snot out of Egypt. 
This is the easy part. It's not difficult. I'll do it. And clearly he's trying to teach him about the Sabbath and worship and rest and how all of that's supposed to work. But you understand, if you've read it, he's also testing them. It's a test. And the test is, are you going to listen to me? Are you going to take enough for one day? And then on day six, are you going to take double? Are you going to go out on day seven and look for it? Are you going to listen to me and trust me? Look at Deuteronomy 8. This is 40 years of manna. And the people are getting ready to go into the promised land, and Moses has given them one last good talking to. Deuteronomy 8.1. The whole commandment that I command you today you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. And how has he done it? What has it been like these 40 years? It says that he might humble you. He might humble you. God made you so that you have to sleep every day to humble you. So that you don't start thinking too big about yourself. And he made you to need to eat multiple times a day to humble you. And he set this whole thing up for the people as he brought them out to humble them. He wanted, he wanted them not to just think they were worthless and lousy. They weren't worthless. He just saved them. They did have value. But he wanted them to understand, I'm God and you're not. I'm the creator, you're the creature. I'm the provider, you're the needy one. I'm independent, you're dependent. I want you to be humble. And testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. And he humbled you. Just get this idea in your brain. He humbled you and he let you hunger. He let you hunger. I'll just end with this. It is not a coincidence that Jesus teaches his people to pray for bread. And then he turns around and one of the handful of things that he describes himself as is bread. You need me. He set it up that way. You need him. You don't live on bread alone. That was part of the lesson in Deuteronomy 8, and that's part of the lesson in John 6. Uh, What you need is him every single day, just like the hymn says. Every single hour you're dependent on him, and you need him. And uh, even when we pray for something as simple as bread, We're mindful that what we really and ultimately need is Jesus.